And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jay Wall, RB, Gene, Chris, the whole crew here to bring you the latest from the equipment space. And oh, by the way, big surprise here. There is a lot going on. But before we get to any sort of gear news, I want to point something out. So we're beyond the episode 200 threshold. We've been doing things the same way for for a good bit, I will admit. We cover all the latest topics. We get into some mailbag questions, have some interviews. I think it's time to shake things up, boys. What could go that wrong? That makes me right? nervous. Yes. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly, possibly go happen? <laughs> this could either go very well, or we're going to cancel this in like two episodes. <laughs> or, or they're just going to cancel us. But we've been kicking around this idea for, I would say, a few months of doing a fully equipped hotline. <laughs> I want to say the word hotline. Um, you know, so this 30, sounds like I'm a one thirty number yep, pitch. Yeah, this is like a late, like a late night, uh, late night advertisement. Anyway, we're going to be opening up the fully equipped hotline. This is going to be your space, your space, meaning those of you who actually listen to this podcast, your space to, to rant, rave, blow us up. If you don't like one of our takes, I don't really care what you do. I just want some, some hot sports takes, some hot golf club takes, I should say. So that's what this, this hotline is going to be for. So we've opened it up. And it is live. So if you want to leave us a voicemail going forward, we are going to play these live on Fully Equipped. And if they're good enough, we might get some laughs out of it. Who the hell knows? Maybe down the road, we actually have one of these yahoos who's willing and able to leave a voicemail. Maybe we have on the podcast. We got to do it. Man. Anyway. I mean, this just sounds like an opportunity for me to call and leave voicemails harassing the shit. I was about to game. say, That's are we going to, this is going to be us leaving <laughs> random voicemails, pretending to be, you know, Bob from Maine. I can see it now. You know, anytime I have some beef with Uncle Gene, I'm just going to leave a voicemail. <laughs> that was my plan. That was yeah. my plan. Yep. Uh, we that were having so, an over under. so awesome. Yeah. We were going to have an over under on who's going to get the most, the most hate mail. Gene seems to think it's him. I I would tend I to agree. agree. He he is our lightning rod, and that's why I love him. I am I am not a wallflower. That is for sure. <laughs> anyway, so if you want to leave a voicemail for a future fully equipped, the phone number is 602-935-4974. I realize it's not that easy to remember, but again, it's 602. 602- Nine three five four nine seven four. Leave us a voicemail. I really want one. So far, we haven't gotten any, but I have to think that's because we haven't promoted it on the pod. We threw up a quick post on the fully equipped Twitter, which is at fully underscore equipped, but no, nothing yet. Hopefully, it's coming. I want some good ones. Uh, so anyway, I think it's coming. Uh, we're we're going to throw it out here. There's going to be some coming. We're going to throw it out here, and now we're fishing with dynamite. Should I offer up like for the best first call for the best first email we get or voicemail? Can't even talk because I'm like voicemail, email, any whatever. For the very first voicemail, the best one, I'm gonna give away a piece of gear. There we go. That's a good way oh. to fit. To, that's a good way to fish for. I've got I've got some good stuff here. I I'm not lying. Some good and it's all new and recent. We'll make it happen. Hook us up with a good one. 
I'll make it worth your while. Mm. Anyway, so there you go. That's what I wanted to make sure that I got off at the top of the pod instead of burying it at the bottom. Um, all right. So let's just get right into it this week. I, I want RB's got a cool story. He finally played in a competitive round. I want to know more about that. There's definitely, from what I'm hearing, a fitting angle there, which is pretty exciting. But let's kick things off with the Tour Championship. So 30 guys are playing this week at Eastlake. And the way that they normally do it is Commissioner Jay Monahan has a, I would call it like a state of the tour address. Just to, to close things out, it's it's pretty pretty vanilla most years. This is not most years. There's been a lot going on on the PGA Tour with, you know, what is the future of the tour? Are they going to have some sort of a merger with with the Saudis? Um, you know, Monaghan had to take a leave of absence for, you know, because he, he having some mental health issues, it, rightfully so. I mean, there was a lot going on in his life at the time. So big surprise, there's a lot to get through. And I was scrolling through the the press transcript. And buried down at the very bottom, somebody was kind enough to ask for an update on the USGA's model local rule because Monahan came out recently in a memo and said, look, we're not moving forward with what the USGA is proposing. We're willing to collaborate with them, but we're not going to embrace what they're proposing. So they wanted an update because the USG and the RNA had a feedback period where they were asking for um, equipment manufacturers and stakeholders to offer up any sort of feedback before an August 14th deadline. And so Tyler Dennis, who's the executive vice president for the PGA Tour, is the one who answered the question. And it's, boys, it's pretty vanilla. It's it's what you would expect to hear from, from PGA Tour brass. But there, there were two words in his response that, that really piqued my interest. So let me just read you because it's not that long. So somebody asks about the MLR and for an update. And he said, we haven't had any update following the conclusion of the period, period meaning the, the feedback period. There's a lot of constituents that the USG and the RNA are hearing from during that six-month period. You're aware of our position what we've heard from our players and all of our constituents. And yeah, our plan is to continue to collaborate around a single rule that can make sense. Single rule are the two words that stand out to me. Because to me, and I want to know where you guys stand on this, single rule to me means they want to be on the same page as the USGA and the RNA. And if you look at what the USGA and the RNA are proposing, it, this is where it starts to get very interesting because go back to 2021 when the USGA and the RNA released their areas of interest and the initial areas of interest were around potentially creating golf club, golf ball, um, you know, like restrictor plates for racing to dial back the distance. But they were looking at it across all skill levels, not just the pros. Fast forward two years and they've now proposed essentially bifurcation. You would have this these new golf ball rollback rules for the elite level pros and amateurs. They're not saying what events yet. And then you would still have the regular rules for, for the average golfers. They'd even kicked around maybe 
removing the the MOI restrictions and making golf clubs even more forgiving going into the future. So again, just widening the gap between the the upper crust and the weekend golfers. And now here's the PGA Tour saying, you know, hey, we're we're good with collaborating so long as we're all on the same page. And it's going to put the USGA and RNA, in my opinion, in a really weird spot because this could go one of two ways. I think, do you go with the PGA Tour and what, what they're trying to do? And if you do that, you might be looking at golf ball rollback for everybody. Or do you say, well, forget you, we're not. We're not gonna we're not gonna create that because that's not what the USG and the RNA want to do. They don't want to make the game more difficult. They don't want to reduce distance for the weekend golfers and say we're just gonna forget you and we're gonna kind of do our own thing. I, I do. I think that the two words there, single rule, put the USJ RNA and the PG Tour at odds here. What do you guys think? I mean, I could see that definitely being contradictory and and as you said, kind of putting them at odds. That's uh, that's definitely a hot button topic, and I'm I'm seeing that definitely spark some some heated conversations and and stirring things up. We'll say between the the governing properties at at least. I mean, not to mention the the players blowback and input that you're going to get from some of the ambassadors in the game that definitely have a an influential voice in what the PGA Tour does and other competitive tours uh, around the world. So I'm curious to to get RB and Gene's feedback, but yeah, I could I could see that just going really sideways really quick. Chaos is coming. I love it. I actually think it's, it's, it seems pretty simple because, you know, we, we live under one rule, like one group of rules already now. Um, but in, in theory, like the average golfer drives at 215 yards, the average male golfer drives 250 yards. The, the idea that, as I've said in the past, like for a car or a golf ball or anything to go faster, like you need exponentially more power to get results on the other end. So it's like, you know, if your car has 200 horsepower and it goes hundred miles an hour, putting 220 miles an hour onto it, like to get to that 200 miles an hour, you don't need 400 horsepower. You need 800 horsepower, right? Because of wind resistance and all of these other like engineering factors. So for golfers that swing at a slower swing speed, they're not going to see the enormous like loss of distance. And in fact, a golf ball that stays in the air longer or might spin or might be a little lighter or whatever they happen to do, could actually benefit that player because they the ball is traveling at a lower rate of speed and it's not going to receive the same air resistance or tur- like create the same turbulence as a golf ball that's traveling at literally double the ball speed, which is kind of hard to like think about. But it, you know, when we talk like at least one and a half times the ball speed. So with all of that kind of factored in, I think there's probably going to be a point where they're just going to say, look, look, we'll slow it down a little bit. That's fine. I think maybe you guys think this is a little bit extreme that the USGA is proposing now, let's slow down a little bit for everybody and leave it as it is. Most golfers aren't going to notice a difference. It's going to help with the high performance level. And it's all just under, under one rule anyways. And I think that's probably where it's going to end up. To be honest, it's not that I don't care because of course I care and I'm very curious about it. And it's like, to be, to be like very frank, it's like part of my job to care, but, and to help under golfers communicate this, but this whole idea of like rules in golf, like honestly, like, I hit golf balls at a range this morning and I see golfers all over the place. They're just dropping balls. They're hitting shots. They're taking 
98.8, of golfers don't play by the rules anyways. So why, why does it matter? Why does it matter? That's the thing I don't understand with like this whole debate is like we as golfers can debate it and architecture and all these different things. But to be honest, you just tell us, you just tell a golfer like this ball goes further and whatever. And it's, it's to be, to be honest, this, this whole thing is like become a marketing exercise of like, we have to like hold on to the pros for whatever. But like, to be honest, most people don't care. Like they just don't. <laughs> so, um, I, like I said, I think the conclusion is going to be they're going to slow it down for everybody and no one's and all the regular golfers aren't going to notice. They're just going to go and see, oh, this is the new golf ball for 2026. They're going to go in, they're going to grab their shiny box. Golf balls are going to walk to the first tee. And they're going to lose six of them and it's not going to matter. <laughs> I mean, that is spoken like a, a man's man, a man of the people, RV. Well, I, I, so my take is kind of confusion because the USGA's proposal, their third rail was the amateur golfer, not affecting the amateur golfer. And they were trying to specifically focus this rule on elite players and rolling back the game for elite players. Um, this kind of creates a little bit pregnant moment where it's like one rule to your point, Jay wall means one rule. It means it affects everybody. And puts I the don't USG know. in the RNA in a corner in my opinion. Yeah. It, it, it puts them in a corner and you know, it was really interesting. Um, little nod to, uh, Chris, I was up at Truspec in Del Mar today with, um, kale the, the the fitter up there and he was telling me something interesting you know he said he has seen so many players swinging 120 125 and we were talking about it that you know are coming through but the point is the average on the tour still is 115 120 and the reason is they want to be able to control the ball and he was talking about the corn ferry in relation to the PGA tour and he said you see much higher driving uh clubhead speeds on the corn ferry because the courses are more wide open than you do on the PGA tour where it narrows all of a sudden and these guys have to self regulate in order to hit fairways because hitting fairways is what wins you tournaments and so to me, I think there's a self-regulating aspect to it. Uh, you know, I go back to, I think the real simple solution is just graduated rough, but let's take that off the table for a second. It's just simply, there are a ton of young kids out there that can swing 130 miles an hour, but I haven't seen a lot of them winning U.S. Opens or, or, or U.S. Ams. We we chase something shiny in this industry and go, Oh, look at how fast that guy is. And look at how hard he hits the ball. But the reality is if you look at it, Rory was a classic example. He started chasing Bryson and he said, this was the wrong path to go down. I, I pure distance is not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is getting it out there long and straight. And that means dialing it back to an area that you can control. So that's where I've always believed in it. Uh, but to the point um, that was made, I don't, I don't know how the manufacturers, you know, even to a small extent, rolling the ball back, everything is about better performance. It's not about lesser performance. And I just think that it does a disservice to the amateur golfer. I would rather see bifurcation than a rollback for the amateur golfer because I think that's unfair. The game's hard enough as it is, 
it doesn't, you know, the ball does not need to be rolled back for, you know, most amateurs. This to me feels like a, like a, you know, who's the biggest swinging dick in the room, you know, because <laughs> seriously it, it does. It's, it's, it's sort of the, the tour's way of, of saying like, how, how bad do you, do you want us on board? That's, that's the way that I view this. I could be totally wrong because nobody asked a follow-up question. I'm merely going off an answer here, but I don't think you can read the, this transcript and him using the word single rule. I don't know how many different ways you can interpret that other than a single rule being on the same page unification. Well, and well, you know, let's face it, the PGA Tour, they use the USGA rules out of convenience, not necessity. They're not bound by those. I mean, they well, yeah, are uh, exactly. They, and so the the point being, they do they can do whatever they want. Now it's always been convenient for them to follow it, but I think that both the PGA of America and the PGA Tour, when they came out and both said, "Eh, we're going to pass on this," it was a function of it's not broke. Why fix it? Let's let's keep things as 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 they are. Golf's never been more popular. We're taking in so much money that we had to start another tour. I mean, all of these huge pluses that we've talked about in the past. And so I, I agree with you, Jay. Well, I think this is a, a, a muscle flexing exercise going, you guys don't get to tell us what to do because we are not beholden to you. And so therefore, yeah, we'll, we'll play ball a little bit and throw you some lip service. But at the end of the day, we are not going to tarnish our product in the name of, of, you know, a few courses that you want to play us opens at in the future. That's probably a good way to, to close off this topic. I don't know. We could probably spend another 30 minutes talking about it, but you know what I would rather spend more time talking about? Spend more time. I got talking something. About. RB. I got... Come on, man. Give us something fun to talk about. I'm, I'm done talking about golf balls. Well, okay. You know that a golf ball, you got to hit it, right? Well, the only thing you're going to hit it with is a golf club. And the only way to hold that golf club is with a grip. And Fully Equipped is brought to you by Golf Pride. Because Golf Pride knows that a grip isn't just a grip. It is a performance part of your golf equipment. And it's the only connection you have between you and your golf clubs. And when you have the right grip, you have the right texture, you have the right size, all of these things combine together and you have that proper connection with you and your golf clubs. Studies have shown that you're going to gain distance. And when you're gaining distance, you're going to have less yardage into greens and you're going to be swinging more comfortably, which is always really important. And speaking of comfort, this is also, you know, one of those factors that I think a lot of people don't really consider when they talk about their grips is you have to look at how they fit from a texture and performance perspective. So if you are someone that is a fair weather golfer, you probably really enjoy the CPX or the CP2, which are, are softer grips. They help reduce vibration. So you can play a little bit longer if you want to get 36 in or you want to hit that large bucket that having your hands hurt after. Those are two great options. Now, if you're someone who is looking for the ultimate in performance, you can go with the MCC, you can go with the Z grip, you can even go with a core grip. The Golf Pride uh, Tour Velvet Court actually won all, uh, I think it was all four of the men's majors this year. So that's, you know, you're looking for maximum performance, whether you're in the rain at the British Open or you're at the uh, at the Masters and it's nice and sunny out. It's a great option to have. Now, for those who are curious of trying some different grips, get over to golfpride.com. Use code fully, that is F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D. I know how to spell that, but for some reason, I like reading it off either way. Uh, that gets you free shipping on your next order. 
So go to golfride.com and that there's no minimum purchase as well. So that's available for all customers in the United States. And so whether you want to try a whole selection of grips or you want to just order and stock up on your favorite grip, you can head over to golfpride.com and do that there. So thank you to Golf Pride for supporting the podcast. Seriously, thank you, Golf Pride. Longtime sponsor of the podcast. I, I love them. And it's really cool that we have a sponsor of the pod. I, I, I've been using Golf Pride, as I mentioned uh, in the past. I've been using their grips forever. And I've never seen a need to change, but it is cool that we have them as a sponsor of this pod. So thank you. Anyway, RB, you got to get to it, man. You played some competitive golf. How yeah, was it? Uh, it was fine. It was good. Um, I saw your shot from the bunker on 18. That, that was, was good. That was really yeah. saucy. Uh, you know what? It's uh, it's one of those things where I don't, it's like, it's all a feel thing. I don't really, not a big practicer, but anyways. Um, yeah. So, uh, I was invited to play in an, an event called the, the take a chance cup, which is like the first time they've had, it. it's just, it's a nine hole event at a, at a local course called, uh, well, not low, relatively local to me called Copetown woods and great public facility, probably one of the best public facilities, probably within two hours of Toronto. Um, and that great value, great golf course, great layout. And the idea is two pins on each green and you get to pick and it's all Stableford. So, you know, you make a That's bogey, awesome. you pick up. Which is great. And I, I love that format. And we were talking about this because uh, as we were teeing off, I didn't know any people I was playing with, but I met some some uh, a couple friends of the podcast who were, who enjoyed listening and followed along golf.com as well, which was really fun. But They're probably our only two listeners of the podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they, okay, I, I tell, I'll encourage them next time I, I see them uh, to, to definitely call the hotline and ask as many questions as they'd like. Uh, but I played with some golf. I played with a couple, uh, one who was a, a pro at a golf course up north. So there was money on the line for anybody because of the way the amateur rules you can, I did not win anything by the way. So just to me, be very clear. I felt finished very middle of the pack, but there were professionals there who were playing for up to 2000 bucks, which was you know, a nice little price spot for nine hole round of golf. Right. So, um, with that in mind, the one thing that I noticed was I was playing with someone and after a couple of holes and like, it's, it's kind of loose. Like no one was like taking it too, too seriously. But one guy was like, how fast do you swing your driver? Cause like, he caught it. He freaking caught it. Like he was swinging at around 120 miles an hour. And I asked him, I said like, what is your like gamer speed? And he goes, well, you know, I don't, I don't spend too much time on launch monitors, but I know when I got good for my driver last year, it was around 122, 123. And as soon as he was on the golf course, he had like a very consistent miss. And, you know, I'm not a big practicer. So I kind of know where my miss is going to go anyways. And it's, you know, I have a, pretty much standard go-to shot. And yes, I do miss shots either way, but I'm watching this, this player go through this process and, and watching other players as well. And the question I was thinking was, cause like I have the opportunity to use launch monitor. I have the opportunity to go out and do these kind of things and test stuff, but how do players prepare for the idea of getting ready for competition? Like how does your body prepare for the idea of being under the gun basically and and i wanted to pose this question to chris because this whole thing was in my mind and i've worked with top level players and i've talked to people that are coaches of players at the very highest level and you know they talk about working with their players on tendencies where they miss understanding their body what they're feeling is there a way that you recreate that in a fitting chris because to me i'm curious how players you've worked because i know you work with pga tour players and, and players at high level across the board to recreate that situation when they are out in a competition scenario, like, you know, I want to hit this squeeze cut or I want to do this under pressure because I know it's going to do that. Do you recreate that? Or how does that conversation work when you're working with a golfer? Cause I'm kind of fascinated at the highest level, how that works. So the, 
I mean, it's kind of a, a multi-part answer. So, number one depends on the player. So the skill level of the player, the accessibility we have to do some testing outside of the fitting environment. <laughs> so, I mean, for example, I, I've worked with high school and collegiate players and some competitive amateurs to where we are recreating scenarios and we can pull up virtual holes and things of that nature in the actual hitting bay. Uh, now, when you're working with a tour player, that is, for most of those guys, not necessarily a uh, an acceptable option. They want to take it physically on the golf course that they are playing that particular week and put it into play on holes that they struggle with or uh, holes that they have had a lot of success with in the past and they know the shot shape and kind of that launch window that they're looking for and that new club or new you know, replacement set of irons has to be able to hit the shots that they want to see or help guard against a miss that they hate seeing. So, I mean, one particular example, it, it kind of jumps to mind immediately when we talk about this, uh, working with Gary Woodland before he signed his deal with Cobra, we were out at TPC Scottsdale before the Phoenix Open. And at that point in time, Gary was with Wilson, but he had room in his contract to where he could play any woods that he wanted to. So, uh, Gary had come to see me. We'd worked together in the past and he came to see me when he got to Scottsdale and he literally had a just giant canvas bag filled with every manufacturer's head with different lofts, different internal weighting. So he had hot melt in different places, different static weights. We hit drivers for two days on the back of the range at TPC Scottsdale for probably a combined total of six hours, if I had to guess, just full swing drivers. And once we narrowed it down to the top two, he specifically wanted to take it on the golf course to hole 17, drivable par four, and hole 18, where you most of the time need to hit a cut over those church pew bunkers and bring it back left to right into the fairway, especially for somebody as long as Gary. So once we narrowed it down, we took it out to the golf course and the top contenders, and we sat on the tee for probably another 30 or 40 shots on 17 and 18, just hitting drives, hitting drives, hitting drives, making sure that that launch window, that shot shape, and where the ball started in relationship to his target line and where it finished was consistent so that he had that confidence in that particular combination to actually put it in play come time for the tournament. And I mean, it was really impressive to watch the consistency that a player at that level has once they have some confidence in a piece of equipment. I mean, there was nothing left in the bag. It was a just controlled lack at this golf ball and watching the ball speed he was, uh, he was getting out of this new combination and the consistency. I mean, at, 300 and some change you could go and put a blanket over the top of these 30 drives that he hit on 18 i mean it was really really impressive how now i guess my next question is because i'm you mentioned a word there that i think amateurs really need to think about here is start line mm -hmm. how important is that for players when they're like hitting shots because i think you know a lot of players are like you know, they, they try to say you're trying to hit a cut. You don't aim at the middle of the fairway. You know, your go-to sure. shot to cut. You aim at the left side of the fairway and you create this much larger margin of error for your, you know, your, your natural shot shape. But a lot of golfers be like, yeah, I fade the ball and land down the right, the middle of the fairway and they miss to the right. And they're like, oh, I didn't even think about that happening. Right. Like 
the start line is such an important element of the fitting, which is again, difficult to recreate in a bay, but when you're outside and you're looking at targets, especially when there's a tournament and you can see all this stuff in the background and be like, I want to take it off. If you're, in the, if you're at the open championship, I want to take it right at that church, <laughs> right? Like sure. the idea of, of picking a spot, that's, that is a thing that most, I think amateur golfers struggle with, but pros like that is a key part of like where they are trying to figure out where the golf ball starts and where it's going to end. Oh, 100%. I mean, they want to know where that golf ball is consistently going to start, how much movement it's going to have downrange, and where it's going to end in relationship to the intended target line. So, I mean, for example, if you have somebody that's a drawer of the golf ball versus a fader of the golf ball, and they don't want to see, uh, let's just say that double cross miss, you have to get the start line further right or further left of the intended target line to even if they do happen to miss it a little bit, you know, it doesn't cross that threshold of unacceptable in their mind as far as the overall target line that they're visualizing and the shot shape that they want to create by you know pathing it left, pathing it right in relationship to where the face is at impact. So, I mean, a, a fader of the golf ball like Gary, you know, he wants to be able to shut the face in relationship to the target, but leave it open in relationship to the path and know where it's going to start and how much it's going to move once it gets to the apex height and starts to fall back towards the target line. So it, manipulating different characteristics of shafts and head combinations will obviously give a player an opportunity to change their start line and then also control that particular trajectory, launch window, apex, landing angle, spin that produces a more consistent shot shape for that elite level player. Gene, how much can you do that with the robot? Now I'm curious. How much can you change the, the, uh, the path? kind of as much as you want you can go nuts if you can swing it we can duplicate it very interesting man i've got some swings that i would love to see on a robot we're talking about it watch this is the big this is a big topic of conversation right now is what do we want to how do we want to test the the robot next year I, i don't i don't want us to show our cards because I do know that that some competitors listen to this podcast. Thanks for giving us some listens, but we've got some cool stuff coming. We're, we're kicking around some we're kicking around some fun ideas for for upcoming club tests and robotic testing. So things that other people and in the industry are not doing. I'll I'll pick on my stepdad because he was he was just in town, and uh, we went through and and did a club fitting and did a full bag for him, broke it up over two days, and I mean, God love him. I love playing golf with him. And he has some speed, but, uh, I mean, he's 105, 106 miles an hour at 66 years old, but he was 13 to 15 degrees left, two or three degrees down and would hang the face sometimes 10, 12 degrees open while creating these, uh, these aggressive angles. So how that's possible hockey player. No, no, actually he was, uh, he's a retired mechanic. And didn't pick up golf until later in life. And I mean, he takes a lash at it. He's not shy, but I mean, capable of six, 7,000 RPMs of spin on a (laughs) low, low combination. And I'm going, Tim, like, I don't even know how the hell you're doing this. Like, this is, uh, this is pretty impressive. I see Gene over here scratching. Gene's over here, like, stroking his chin, like, wondering, how could I recreate these? I mean, if we need to fly him out to California and have him hit some balls for us, I know he'd be down for that. 
That is that's, the hockey player delivery right there. Oh, that's wild. absolutely. That is, that is the, that, you, uh, you go into any fitting bay in Canada where some, you know, young hockey players is taking up golf for the first time when they are 13, 10 to 13 down and across and they know how to keep the face open. Like that's the thing they can keep that, that face to path relationship. They can maintain that actually pretty, pretty good. But it's like, how come this little guy over here is like pounding it past me? It's cause well, he's half his spin and he's hitting up on it. And you know, he, I always say like when we had Josh Sens for club test this year, we were down at Callaway. He is one of the most sneaky long players that I've ever seen because he's very efficient. He's got that little kind of Rocco lich it, like kick it back into the into the they're, behind they're and underneath like, them. Yeah, they're they were separated at birth. They're golf swings. He just kind of like sets the club yeah. down and then brings it he's up and loops. And it's just like this little draw. This little it's not a sling draw, but it's this little draw, very shallow. And he's sitting, I think it was a he was sitting a draw three wood, which he said he struggled with. Uh, he was very sh- He was down at like one degree on it, but he was hitting this perfect little like uh, into out path. He's hitting again ninety five miles an hour with a three wood, and he's carrying it two hundred and thirty five yards. I'm like, what the hell? Like you cannot get more efficient than that. Like it was insane. So it is. It is very funny to like think about you know the way that people can create efficiencies in their golf swing just by how they hit the golf ball, which is why I always tell people like, you know, a golf club is only going to do so much. You have to work on the, you know, the shaft is not the engine of the golf club. The human is. So, you know, that's why I asked about the, the fitting thing. Cause I think that's where people really struggle with is like understanding what your body does under pressure. Cause it's not the same as when you're just hitting ball after ball after ball and getting in a groove on the range, because you don't bring that same game to the course. You try to, but a lot of players don't. All right. So the beauty of being in the golf industry is that we all have things going on. It's, it's a good thing. It's nice to be busy, but, but Chris has to bounce for a meeting here in a little bit. So I was going to leave this topic for the end of the pod, but figure let's bump it up. I want to, I want to take a peek at Taylor Mates P790. Now this is an iron that, that in my opinion, totally redefined the, the iron space because before P790, we, we had some irons that I, I guess fell into what is now known as player's distance, but P790 really helped bring player's distance to the forefront. And these are, for those of you that have never heard that term before, player's distance, these are the irons that you now see from literally every manufacturer out there. They are smaller a lot of them are are have a, a blade like appearance, but the internal cavity is hollow and is typically filled with some sort of material. PXG's original 0311, you know, again, another one of those original players' distance irons. And these are irons that are meant to look like a better player iron, but they're still just jam-packed with ball speed and forgiveness. All the things that a guy who just Maybe used to be a scratch player. Maybe he was a, a low single-digit handicapper. He's got kids now. He can't get out and, and play as much. It, Chris is smiling because he's he's probably fit a lot of these guys. And they all come in and they all say, I, I just can't go up in, in the, the profile. I don't want to look at a chunky club, but I don't want to hit something that isn't forgiving as my old set of you know Mizuno MPs. So I, I need a little bit more forgiveness. What can you what can you give me? And TaylorMade's P790 has, has certainly fit there. Now, this new version that they've come out with is, is you know, it's, it's got AI. 
AI is now helping redesign where the mass is going with within the head. We saw it from the cutaways. You know, there's there's up to 38 grams of tungsten in the toe of these, but it's now repositioned depending on whether it's a low iron, lower in the head, higher launch, um, even up into like the seven or eight iron where the tungsten ends, and then they go into the you know nine iron pitching wedge where you really don't need tungsten, but you're trying to keep that mass a little bit higher for control. But anyway, Chris, since you're going to have to bounce. What have you seen from from P790 during early testing and from feedback from guys who've de- who have had a chance to hit it? I mean, like you said, the the 790 has been a workhorse for TaylorMade ever since they launched that uh, original generation of 790. And I mean, this new generation addresses some of the the feedback that we've gotten over the last couple of iterations of this club. And testing that we did, we've got actually our our product test and, and review video up on the TrueSpec social, and uh, it lives on our media channels. But uh, acoustics much improved, consistency in launch and spin threshold much improved, and that was a really big problem that uh, the TaylorMade had with the earlier generations of the 790. Was I mean, for lack of a better description, you would almost get sporadically like a type of flyer result out of the center of the face or close to center to where there's just a burst of ball speed or lack of spin uh, sporadically on some occasional shots, which would result in players you know, flying a green or being out of position on an approach shot or whatever the case may be. And new generation of 790 now incorporating AI, they actually independently engineer each iron uh, on its own and reposition CG accordingly to to optimize the the launch characteristics and spin thresholds. So when we were testing these guys, it was noticed immediately the sound improvement, the consistency in spin, and then also the uh, the consistency in apex height, landing angle, and just the the carry distance and downrange dispersion. So. Again, this is uh, this is going to be a workhorse for TaylorMade. I uh, I see it doing very very well as all the other generations, but this one is a much more consistent performer for sure. The thing that I like about them is first off, the sound looks great. Um, I know it's like you know sound look feel the whole like bit. Everyone kind of like you know we always talk about that kind of like element of it. Uh, but I'm going to throw this in really quick because we talked about being competitive when I was at that little event the other day. Um, they had a, a fun close to the pin and TaylorMade was there and they had the new P790 and I did have to pick, see my, my club brain went off really quickly. So I had to like figure out what loft I needed, pick a golf club. And I did get it close to the pin using a P798 iron. So, you know, I'm going to throw it out there, but I do really, I did really like the feel. And to your point, there's a point that Chris made there. Um, I think that's where players are going to see the, the improvement. And I've seen testing videos where like head to head off the screws, you know, they're very, they're both very good. Right. But it's, as we've always talked about, and, you know, Gene, we have this, and I'm, I'm very excited to continue to dive into this kind of stuff. It's like what the robot shows us is off the middle is great. It's like, it's great for a, a lot of golf clubs, but where do you miss around that area? Right. Like where do you, if you're a toe player, are you a heel striker? Are you a low striker? Like, where do you miss it? And Anytime you can start reining in that uh, that dispersion pattern from where you hit it on the club face, and it does relate back to something we talked about a couple weeks ago, which someone messaged me because I mentioned in our uh, I mentioned like a Q and A that I did, like game improvement clubs that are very fast. 
for faster clubhead speed players can really cause greater dispersion depending on their angle of attack and the speed that they have and the gear effect that's created from a miss. But these kind of split that difference of something where you get consistency, but you get the looks of a smaller golf club and you get something that feels really nice. And I think that is where for the testing that I've done so far, I've really liked kind of the combination of feel feeling a little softer, but man, it feels great to hit a five iron that goes like 190 yards in the air and land soft because the clubs that I have, they can do that, but I feel like I have to work harder to do it. This one, I don't feel like I have to work that hard. And for players who are in that category of maybe I don't have quite as much speed or I don't play as much, the whole player's distance category in general is something that is such a huge performance benefit. And also, to be very frank, and you know, I'll always speak freely here, it's a nice little ego stroke because it doesn't look like this big chunky club. Oh, yeah, it's it is. Just, <laughs> it's just like, oh, you know what? That looks really nice and clean in the bag. It's great. But yeah, hidden inside yeah. of it is this nice golf club. It's like... You know, I, I saw this ad for this, uh, this dog. I can't remember what it was. It was like a Dodge, like family car, but it was like, you got a family, but you want horsepower. It's got a heavy. Like, it's yeah. And it's like, you know, it's just, all it is, is like, it's, I mean, you could drive, you just, you could just buy a minivan. Like it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. It probably has more capacity anyways. You're like, yeah, but you want power. Cause you're a dude. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, go ahead, sell the car to the people who want that stuff. Like I, I maybe I just worked too much in marketing previous in a previous life. They're like, I just look past all of this stuff, but it, that's what it does. It, you, but you get the performance, but you get something where it's like, you know what? It still looks nice and clean for those players who want that. And and it does, it is appealing. I'm not going to lie and just like blow that over. Like it is, it's, it's an appealing looking golf club when on the shelf or in someone's bag or at a demo day, wherever you happen to be testing golf clubs, it's one that people want to try. And that's a huge part of just the testing process for a lot of golfers. The robot doesn't care though, does it, Gene? The robot doesn't give a crap what it looks like. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, and you know, it it it's it's like the Titleist irons that we just tested. It gives you uh, a level playing field to do an analysis across different uh, models. And get a real sense of launch and spin characteristics and drop off and distance, which is critical to find out if you strike the ball in a consistent location, then you might not need as much game forgiveness in your irons. If you're getting older and you need more distance, but you're consistent, that's where, you know, the irons we're talking about could be advantageous. But, you know, we just look at data and then we try to fit data to a player profile to see who could benefit the most from that. I know there's there's something that like you can't necessarily talk about <laughs> uh, right well, now. We're gonna have you try and talk about it anyway. We're gonna we're gonna like we're gonna we're gonna discuss the the theory behind this kind of stuff Tip-toe and around it. Could you not have a player with the you know using utilizing something like AI right where like a golf club can be analyzed for like what it's able to do and what it's capable of doing and looking at a player's dispersion pattern or their face contact or the way that they hit up or down or, you know, talking driver or irons or whatever it happens to be. And you can say this player is four down, misses on the toe. This is the club that they use. Is there something where you could say like, these are the, this is the, cause this in a fitter's mind, this is how a fitter's mind works, right? It's like, there's this, there's a, like a step pyramid, right? Like a decision tree. That's the word I was looking for. A decision tree where you're like, okay, going to connect this to this to this. And I want this shaft and this head. And these are three heads that we're going to go try. And then we're going to end up at the result for the, the golfer. 
is there a potential for something like that to be worked into like where a golfer can help with that? Cause I've seen ping do it. Ping has like fitting stuff. I've shown it off as much as I can. Cause it's their proprietary stuff. And I've, and people have asked about where I put in my specs and, and it'll give out, give them my club distances, which is actually incredibly accurate. But the question is, do you think that there's a, there's is a time where people are going to be able, it's going to help simplify the fitting process basically with AI. Like it's going to create that the way it has helped make, not golf, not golf club design easier, but made it more optimized depending on the player profile that you're looking at. Um, I'm going to answer that in a two-word answer. Stay tuned. All right. I get that. There we go. I, I guess I kind of half explained kind of like what I think is coming, but not from not necessarily from you, but I just mean from like the industry in general, because even stay stay tuned it's you're gonna it, there's some interesting things that are that are in development i can't talk about them right now but you're on the you're on the right uh you know uh thought process and it's it's gonna be pretty wild it's gonna be very wild the like the full application i can think of this from like an oem perspective other than talking about ping and i think it's it's a it's a tool that doesn't get enough credit is the Mizuno shaft optimizer, which has yep. been around for more than a decade at this point now. And they've talked about how looking back at data, faster players looking at certain golf clubs are becoming faster means you need a little bit more bounce. They're generally a little steeper into the golf ball. And they've used this, they've mined this data set that they have from all these players that have used the shaft optimizer and hit different golf club heads to say, we need to add more bounce to our irons, which I think is fascinating. And which I know now they're on the USGA conforming list and people have talked about, you know, they might be readily available at a shorter period of time around the world at certain points of this, you know, when it comes to new irons and that kind of stuff. But the, the idea of using data to help improve a product is not new. It's just, you know, the engineers at Mizuno had to go through this whole process of mining this data to say, wow, players that swing this fast are this down and they need a wider sole or they need this or that. And now you have, new irons and even like the irons that are currently out, like there's more bounce on those irons than they have been in the past. And we're seeing this continued evolution of design thanks to more information. And even looking at data sets, I think, you know, we talked about Arcos and I think we're going to talk to Sal in an upcoming episode, which I think we're really excited for, but data is such a huge component of when a player is, is just testing gear. Like that's, that's how a fitter's mind works. We just don't have that. No one's ever been able to conceptualize a fitter into something where you can say, Oh, you need to use this shaft or you need to use this. We've seen it kind of like sporadically around, but as, as Jonathan, you've experienced, right? When we go to OEMs, they have data and they use it to improve golf clubs, but there's nothing that really works. That's going to help golfers in like a, in a grand scheme where they can say, and we're trying, we're trying very hard with our robot data. You miss it low on an iron. Give this a shot. Yeah. That's all we can do. I mean, that's why I, I said it before and I'll say it again. That's why I love the robot. Is it is it strips away all the biases? We can deliver a, a golf club a certain way for every single club that we're testing and for driver uh, across all nine points on the face. And we can we can at least help lead you down a path to try, you know, three or four different drivers and then make your final selection from there. Like you, you gave a really cool presentation at the teacher summit, Gene, about the robot and creating swings and talking about bias, right? Like, I think 
the way that you can create something over and over again creates data that I think is for like teach not golfers, but for like not like but for golfers to understand and to, sorry for teachers, not necessarily for the consumer or for fitters, but for how for teachers to understand what ball flight is really created by like certain scenarios heading into impact. Absolutely. One of the interesting things uh, and kind of one of the biggest misconceptions about robots is there's an assumption that a robot swing, well, I should say my robot, uh, swings the same way every time. And that's just not the case. And it's kind of like talking about um, Chris's stepdad. It might be a stretch, but we could duplicate his swing. You know, we can duplicate any swing. If you could put a swing on a on a golf ball, we can duplicate it. And what we can do, say, in that scenario is we can show the swing flaw with this X amount of power, and then we can show a swing correction. And by changing those two, we can show you what the potential is of your swing. So someone spinning 6,000 RPMs off a driver at, say, 100 miles an hour, they might have 40 yards of distance just simply due to the fact of getting the the swing on the right plane, getting the right launch angle and lowering it down. So, um, you know, stay tuned for that as well. Uh, that's something that hopefully we're going to be exploring in the, in, in the new year, but we're going to be working on a lot of different things that look at the swing, look at the swing in regard to equipment, look at the swing in regard to what I call potential. Very few of us are at 95% plus potential of our swings. We're usually most amateurs are somewhere between 60 and 75%. So there's a big room for improvement and we can show what that improvement is without lifting weights, without getting more flexible. You've got this amount of power in your body. Let's figure out how to configure that power to optimize it to, to hit better shots. All right. I don't want to talk anymore because we're going to know, start, sorry we're going to start giving away our trade secrets. Um, anyway, one last thing that I do want to, to get your take on before we close out this week's pod. It is the last event of the PGA Tour season. There's been a lot going on in terms of gear on the PGA Tour this year. If you had to pick one storyline that that stood out to you this year from a gear perspective, which one would you pick? I'll let you go first on this one. I mean, for me, it's a no brainer because we're still talking about it. It's the golf ball and the, the seismic, uh, you know, agree or disagree. The seismic kind of, um, consequences of that proposal. And I think that's taken up a lot of the oxygen in the, uh, in, on the equipment side. Oh, uh- I'll go next. I, okay. I was going to say the the re-emergence of counterbalanced and long putters. Long putters, not so much. You know, I, I keep hearing from people, are, are long putters going to make a comeback? And I, I don't really ever feel like that they had their, like a big moment. I, for a I, little bit, they they did. I saw one today on the golf course. You're for using the first time. <laughs> well, I, other than my own. Like I went, I went to the range of testing and I saw a guy, I like rolled up to the putting green and pulled up this. <laughs> you like, probably went up and over to him to talk to him. Did you, it was like an odyssey saber tooth. So it was like an older one. It must've been wow. a decade old. It's a great putter like, too. Oh my God. I like, that's, the, I, it was just shocking. Cause like, yeah. 
Yeah. And did he pull it out of his garage? That's what I'm curious. I was curious. I didn't want to ask him, but I was like, did you pull it out of your garage or did you like buy this on eBay two weeks ago? Yeah. It's that you just don't, like I said, you just don't see them all that often. That's why I agree. Like if, if you see one out in the wild, it's, it's a big deal. So I, but I would say counterbalance putters that having a putter from that's a decade old that have this massive resurgence on tour, I think is, is a big story. The other one I would, if I'm going to go like a one, a and a one B by one B would be Scotty Scheffler in the putter. You know, I was looking at some stats. He's, he's going to have the, the best season ever from a, from a, financial standpoint and he's like plus 200 or something like something crazy in strokes gained if you even with even with the putter but all we we've been i've been fixated on it is like what is scotty gonna do what what putter is he gonna use next he's this is like his fourth or fifth putter this season and yet he's still right there with a chance to win the FedEx cup. I just, it's mind blowing. The guy has been so good from tee to green. And then he just has not been able to figure it out with the putter for long stretches. So I would say putter, let's just say that they're the counterbalance or shuffler. Uh, yeah. And, and like Rory too, like before the masters, which I know didn't end very well, but like he was messing around with a bunch of things. So that, that I think the putter was like the, if there was like a club of the year that we like, we're always talking about the putter was like the one, but I think, the equipment story, which continues to evolve for me, and it, and this year is another example, is the not the not the extinction of because that's not the right word, but this evolution of like blades and iron sets. You always used to buy an iron set, and you know fitting has continued to prove to golfers that you do not need to have a single iron. Titleist is a good example of this because they have so many options within their their set, and there's some like there's smaller differentials between them. But, you know, Max Homa talked about it a couple of years ago. was like, I went from a blade and I put a T200S and then I put a T100 in for like a long iron. And we've seen it with Cameron Young, another uh, player, Lucas Glover. He has ZX7 Mark II irons, and then a, uh, a, a five, ZX5 uh, Mark II four iron. This continued evolution is just an example of why fitting is so important, even for the best players in the world, because they're using data. They're looking at strokes gained. They're looking at, you know, I might not hit a four iron that often, but when I do hit it, I want it to make sure that it gets nice and high in the air. And I think players, this, this trend is continuing to go down to players. And I see more and more mixed sets in players' bags because they're more open to the idea of like, it's okay if it doesn't match because I know that I want performance. And I think, when we see it on the PGA tour, I think we're going to continue to see this evolution of the iron set. Cause everyone buys the same wedges. everyone, most players kind of generally play within the same family of fairway woods drivers, obviously like a ballistic launcher. That's just designed to do one thing. But when everyone's looking at how to break up their distances in their set, I think, you know, 15 years ago, hybrids were a big component of that and they're still there, but the differentiation of irons in the set, whether it be from blades to like larger cavity backs or whatever it happens to be, I think we're going to continue to see that evolve. We're going to see it from OEMs and we're going to see it from tour players because anywhere you can find an advantage, they're going to go for it. And I think you got to hit it closer to make more pots. That's one way to do it. Yeah. I, I, I'm total agreement there. I think it is a, a topic and something that has continued to, to grow out on the PGA tour. All right. It's a good way to close it out for episode 204 of fully equipped. If you somehow skipped out on the beginning and now you're here at the end of the episode, what are you doing? But if you did, 
just a reminder, we now have a fully equipped hotline for all your hot golf club takes. The number is 602-935-4974. And if you want more gear goodness on social channels, we are at fully underscore equipped on Twitter and at fully equipped golf on Instagram. Thanks as all for listening. We'll see you next week.